This is the Valarin Perspective. We explore working, leading, and finding value in an uncertain world. I'm Benjamin Karsich. I'm Aaron Smith. Let's get rolling. Welcome, everyone, back to the Valarin Perspective. Uh, we're going to have a little bit more of an open-ended topic today, uh, but it's one that is a macro topic that is really important to both Ben and I and something that we see consistently in organizations that we work with. And it's this idea of understanding the different layers of an organization and what kinds of impact you can have when you work on different layers. And honestly, in many cases, our struggle to see and understand the different layers. In some cases, they're invisible to us. In other cases, they're not, but we feel like we can't do anything about them. So we're going to get into that. And um, sort of broadly speaking, we're going to be using a boat analogy quite a bit through this. And the three layers uh, that we're going to be talking about are culture, product, and process. So let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, so culture, product, process. So the ship analogy actually originated in a game called Sea of Thieves. I won't go into a ton of detail around it. Basically, you have a ship. It's got three layers to it. And the important thing about how the ship relates to this model of culture, product, and process is the further, the deeper into the ship you go, if a problem occurs, if you spring a leak, the more catastrophic it will be, the longer that kind of sits there. And a leak at the bottom layer, what we would call the cultural layer of a ship, like way below deck, um, you know, deep, deep, deep in the ship. If you spring a leak down there, it doesn't matter how well everything might be going on the deck of the ship, the, the, which we would call the process layer. But we focus a ton of effort on the process layer. We're always trying to solve things there. It's where in the game, you know, the, the cannons are and the fights happen and the sails, you know, get turned or whatever. Um, if you spring a leak, though, you will eventually lose your ship. It will it will flood. You will all be sunk. Um, and uh, in the game, you have to start over. And that's actually also true to some extent in real life. You will lose your organization. It will sink. And those small cultural problems that seem minor when you begin um, end up sinking you. And there's a middle layer we call the middle layer the product layer. And we would say that the cultural layer is the most foundational layer of an organization. It's the farthest below the deck. And then you have the product layer, which is a bit below the deck. That's where we think about vision and what should our product be and who's our audience and that sort of thing. And then you have that process layer, which is the obvious layer. It's what people do all the time. And everything seems to happen at the process layer. But the point of the model as we relate to organizations is that while it's where everybody looks, and it's where everybody's eye is drawn because of the activity. Everything that matters the most is in the product and cultural layer for the long-term success of your organization and uh, your ability to really please your audience. It's interesting when we talk about the idea of upstream and downstream, there's two angles on that. One of them is kind of what you just talked about, which is if the sort of part of the boat that's below the waterline is considered upstream, mm -hmm. so like culture is upstream, 
we when we say upstream, what we're referring to is a quality of things that are upstream, which is stuff that happens to our upstream stuff, like culture, values, human behavior, things like this has a cascading impact on the rest of the operation. So it is the case that, you know, to again, to take this analogy way too far that if there's, you know, pirates jumping onto your boat and you're fighting them and, uh, you know, the battle goes one way or the other, that that doesn't necessarily affect the fundamental design or stability of the ship. But it is very much the case that if leaks start to spring under the ship that and the ship starts to sink, that's going to have an absolute and devastating impact on everything else that's going on on the ship. So there is a value stream there that we're talking about where if you have problems with your culture, if you have problems with your values, if you have behavioral issues in your organization, if you've hired the wrong people, that's going to cascade. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes also as well if you develop issues mm-hmm. that you didn't already have. Like let's say you scaled your organization from 100 people to 800 people. So you 8X'd your staff and you didn't focus on maintaining strong culture during that period or you didn't focus enough on it. You thought you were focused on it, but you were just so focused on getting work done and bringing more people in that all of a sudden the culture started to warp to reflect the behaviors and values of the people that were coming in more so than the people that were already there and and had been educated, if you will. Um, that is going to affect how everything else goes downstream. Yeah. And so, so there's the upstream downstream aspect of the layers. Um, that's, that's really important to, to keep in mind. And so a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is why do we tend to focus top deck? Mm-hmm. Like what's going on there? What, what's the, what's the allure of over-focusing on the top deck? Why do we do that? Why is it hard to focus on the bottom decks? What are the relationships between the decks, et cetera? Um, so, and, you know, again, uh, this is, this is, there's a lot of analogy here and, and it's a bit of an abstraction. This is a bit of a meta podcast, but uh, this, these, all of these ideas have extremely pragmatic effects on organizations. Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of this stuff is targeted at leaders and leaders, you need to understand the value stream. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the, if there's one takeaway for leaders, it's you need to understand the value stream. You cannot find yourself continually getting caught in scenarios where you're trying to fix cultural team product level problems with process. And again, Ben and I have mentioned this many times. The first thing we get asked to do when we, whenever, like whenever we um, come in and work with a client, whenever we start with new teams, whenever we engage with new leaders, it's, it is, it is a meme for us that the first thing we get asked to do is fix the process. Can you make my team do better at delivering the things we've got these fires? Can you put them out? Yes. You know, we don't estimate well. Yeah. Planning is poor. Yeah, The team exactly. doesn't meet well. Can you get us better agendas for our meetings? Exactly. And again, what do we see here? We see a bunch of people frantically running around the top deck. Mm-hmm. And, and again, one of the things I like about the ship analogy, um, as we go farther into this, it seems comical 
really, if the ship is taking on water mm-hmm. and sinking below the waterline, it seems comical that we would scurry around the top deck worrying about things like which direction the sail is pointing mm-hmm. or which how many degrees to the right we need to turn the wheel or whether the cannons are loaded. Mm-hmm. Like it makes absolutely no sense. And, um, you know, as, as we've been talking about this, there's this sort of anecdote, like uh, I'm, a, I'm a history nerd. There's a ship, a Swedish ship called the Vasa uh, that was built by King Gustavus Adolphus, who's like one of the greatest kings of Sweden. And he built this glorious battleship. It was like, I think, in the 17th century. And it's in a museum today in Sweden. It's one of the best preserved battleships of that era mm. in the world. And uh, the reason it's the best preserved battleship from that era is because it went to sea and sank within 45 minutes. Um, (laughs) And it was the most heavily armed and modern, technologically advanced battleship of its era. Um, Gigantic thing. It looks really cool. You should take a look at it. It was the design of it was fundamentally flawed. Hmm. It was so top heavy that... Basically, a light breeze, more or less, comparatively speaking, just sank it. It just flipped over? Uh, I don't actually know if it flipped over. Um, I, 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 th- I don't know if it, like, ran aground or something or oh, just, wow. like, yeah. So I can't remember the details of exactly how it sank, but it basically it sank within 45 minutes, like, to the point where people <laughs> who are, like, waving the little white cloths as it left the port <laughs> saw it sink. It's pretty bad. Um What I find so interesting about this as I think about it in terms of organization is there was someone on that boat who probably was a career uh, captain, somebody on that, many people who are on that boat who were experts in cannon firing and loading. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was somebody on that boat who had probably drilled and prepared for months to make sure to operate those sails effectively. They probably had a process ready. They probably had like crew get togethers where they were like figuring out who was going to do what and how they were going to break up tasks. And there was probably an immense amount of effort because these ships were monumentally expensive. Like for, for a nation to have one of these ships was a, a point of national pride because the amount of investment that went into it was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Like a huge cruise too. Yeah. They were, they were the aircraft carriers of today, you know, in, in many respects. Right. Again, there's a certain irony in the focusing of so much effort when there it, there was at a level of awareness that there were design flaws mm-hmm. and no one wanted to deal with it. Now, again, there was part of this like, we don't want to talk to the king. I don't want to get my head cut off. Like, I don't want to be that guy. There's other stuff going on there. But, but again, there's a human pattern, a repeated human pattern of an unwillingness to acknowledge what's going on below deck. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about why that is, Ben. And let's talk about some examples we've seen, because I think that there are many. The the best, I'm going to refer to a book to start, and it's uh, a Patrick Lencioni book. He did Five Dysfunctions of a Team, pretty famous author. Um, This one's called The Advantage, and it's not a fable. And I actually really appreciate that he didn't do it as a fable. He talks about the difference between the heart side of an organization and the science side of an organization. And the further you go towards the top of the ship, the more you're in the science part of an organization, uh, especially when it comes to like project management or making sure everybody's working. And 
things become much more measurable. Are the cannons loaded? How, what percentage of the time were they loaded? Are the sails pointed in the right direction? How good were they? Was the rudder appropriate? Like, you know, was the person, um, I can't remember what it's called, but basically the wheel uh, of the ship, um, uh, is that in the right direction? Like, is all the stuff, is all the activity going properly? And we can watch it and we can observe it. And that's the science of an organization. And on the heart side, you have, are we trying to go to the same direction? Are we aligned with who our customer is? Um, are we aligned with our customer on what value means? Uh, do we have a shared understanding of how we relate to feedback? Do we have a shared understanding of how we relate to leadership? Um, these things are harder to measure. I can ask a team, and I've been in organizations that have done this, like, are you culturally aligned? And sometimes those teams answer yes, sometimes they answer no. Um, having gone on to teams, and I know you've done this as well, that were like, yes, we're completely culturally aligned, only to discover that actually they very much were not. Mm -hmm. um, Self-assessment is one, one of the only mechanisms to measure the heart side of cultural alignment. Um, and it's also incredibly unreliable. Yeah. And Patrick Longioni points out that as leaders and as people trying to make a name for ourselves inside of organizations, the science side is very attractive because it's measurable. Mm -hmm. I can improve things at the process layer. Look, we spent less time in meetings or we got more outcomes from the work we did. Or, or everyone filled out their section of the spreadsheet. Yes, velocity seems to have gone up. Um, even some things that are good in their context, like we released three times last week. Isn't that good? Was it? Was it good? Maybe it's good practice. Maybe it's good practice for the process like you had the, with those crewmen on the ship that sank. Maybe they'd practiced a ton and they knew mm -hmm. how to crew the ship. And it didn't matter because it sunk in 45 minutes. And when you get into the deeper product pieces, when you get into the cultural pieces, you're in the heart side and it's harder to measure. It's harder to understand. It's more difficult to work with because it's so much less obvious. And if I were to go into an organization and say, what I would like to do here is dramatically improve the culture, a lot of people would be like, what? I mean, I sort of get why culture is important, but like, could you actually do something meaningful? Yeah. You know, there's some, there's something else interesting here too, that you just triggered for me. I, I hadn't really thought about it in this. There's an instinct that I have, which is that hard skills on the surface are more learnable. And this is related to the, mm. the, the, mm -hmm. pra the pragmatic and yeah. measurable aspects of hard skills. Like making spreadsheets, setting up meetings, building process, setting up a JIRA instance. Like these things are things that, you know, it's like I can, I, I imagine myself sitting down with an intern or sitting down with a junior leader in a software environment and teaching them how to set up the JIRA items or showing them how we do our process and moving the pieces and, and who needs to be where and at what time. And like, it feels more teachable than me saying, how do I help you develop the intuition to know if there's not trust on your team? Yeah. Like there's something so much more obtuse about that on the surface. Right.
you know, and I think that that is something I, I, my instinct, my, my sort of corporate instinct goes, well, that's something only experience can bring. That's BS. I don't believe that actually. And I think that that goes into one of my frustrations about this is I actually think that these things are more learnable and teachable than we think they are, Mm -hmm. but on the surface, they appear far less and they may actually ultimately when all is said and done be harder things to learn for most people yeah. but we don't teach them like and and honestly a lot of times even when we do have access to resources that can teach them we don't value them well we we focus on the wrong thing when we teach it you know and and the the example that jumped to mind for me is um a retrospective that i observed once where if you go by the book the retrospective was fine but I was in the room and I was watching how many people were on their phones, how many people weren't engaged. There's, I could say like it's a feeling, and I think that's why Patrick Lencioni refers to it as the heart side of an organization. Um, But it's not just a feeling, it's observable. You see it, you see, you you can look at people, you can see the disengagement in the retro. And I knew that that wasn't a good retro, not because some agenda steps weren't followed, but because the team didn't care. So there's something there about us going, if we executed all the steps, if all the operations on the top deck have been executed by the book, then things are good. There's a, there's an innate yes. feeling there as human beings we have where we're like, if you did the process right, if you filled out the spreadsheet, if you yes. followed the steps, then things are good. Right. And all the while, what you're saying is, no, you have a leak below deck. Yes. Exactly. Like I'm, and so, so again, my, my back to my question is like, why does that happen? Like, why, why, why is it seem superfluous at times for you to be looking at what's happening below deck? I've actually seen people get irritated with me when I when I <laughs> yeah. call out things that are happening below deck. Like yeah. Aaron, like we just need to get this stuff done. Why are you giving us a hard time about some nonsense? Like, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, the boat's gonna sink. Right. Or at the very least, the risk is going up every day that the boat is going to sink. Mm-hmm. And I have seen that. I have seen Vasas before. I've seen yeah. organizations that have it all together that are about to set sail and then sink 45 minutes in. And everyone's sitting there and going like, I don't know what happened. Everything above top, everything above deck seemed to be going fine. I don't, right. yeah. I don't know what happened. There was, there was so much activity. And it, that... And again, I think it is also interesting about that story that no one wanted to talk about what was going on with the fundamental design of the ship or below deck. Right. Like they were scared to talk about it. Yeah. That's on that's actually on record that like people knew mm-hmm. that there were fundamental design flaws, but no one wanted to say anything. Right. And I think that that's so applicable. Well, and that that to me relates even to the idea of could you just do your job? Mm hmm. Could you just follow the process? Yeah. Look, hey, smart people have figured this out. Maybe they're us. Maybe we got this model from somewhere else. But this process that we have is good. So if we all just do the process, then we're going to be successful. And, and I, th- that- yeah, I think there's also a point where you get you can get somebody to acknowledge it, and then it's frustrating for them because they're like, well, you know what? Aaron, if this ship was fundamentally designed wrong, or if the the bottom deck keeps popping leaks, like, I don't know what you want me to do about it, man. Yes. Like, I don't, I don't know why do you, it's almost frustrating to me that you keep bringing this up because I feel so little agency around solving that problem that 
I it almost feels like you're being non-productive by calling this out. Right. Like, and again, it's why I, I think I try to teach leaders to observe the things that you observed, observe what's going on below deck and give practical tools around actually being able to address upstream issues like process or uh, sorry, pardon me. Product and culture problems are not impossible to solve. In fact, no. they generally find that they're much easier to solve than people think that they are. It's just we tend to not talk about them. It, I think that one of the things that's true at the culture and cultural and product layers, the way you solve those layers is less incentivized. Mm -hmm. And and what I mean by that, you know, to, we've told this story before. I show up to a team, they're like, fix the process. Um, I'm like, great, I can do that, I'm trained in that, I'm good at that, don't worry. If we need the process fixed, I can help you. First, can I talk to everybody? And after talking to everybody, um, you know, maybe take a couple weeks and, and I come back and I say, hey, we're totally gonna get to the process. Um, I wanted to let you know your team is trying to go to the left. Your product owner is trying to go to the right. Your customers think the goal is behind you and your stakeholders are trying to go forward. Let's work on that. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, the way I work on that, someone might say, well, that's a process thing. And I'm like, kind of. That's a conversation. And that's actually what you need to start having when you're dealing with product and culture layers. Yeah. Yes, it's a meeting. I mean, if you talk I to five up. people who are supposed to be on the same page about what we're making and they all give you five different stories, that's not a process problem. Right. And the mechanism I may use to solve it could be a meeting. Yes. It could be a process thing. But what I'm actually driving for is product alignment in that case. Mm -hmm. And that when I achieve product alignment, it's interesting how people are suddenly less concerned about the process. Because when I'm, what I'm attempting to do with process is force things to happen. I'm mm -hmm. trying to, in a, in a place where perhaps trust doesn't exist, where I'm not sure you're going in the same direction as I am, I'm trying to make sure things go the right way by instituting steps in meetings or creating check-ins and reports and all this stuff. I'm creating a administration um, and, and that administration is attempting to make sure you do the right thing. Because, and I really believe this, I am in a place where I don't actually trust you to do the right thing. Yeah. And the and that that lack of trust in you to do the right thing is more based in the fact that we haven't sat down and had a conversation about what's important. Yeah. And and this is this to me an example of the connection between the process and the product layer, but this also applies to the cultural layer. Yeah, you you mentioned something I think powerful earlier when you talked about when we're when we're discussing why we fall into these traps so often because it's it's endemic it really is you talked about this idea of measurability mm -hmm. there's a sex there's a sexiness and an attraction we have to top deck downstream level problems because there's a measurability like i imagine that again we talk a lot about why managers need to have or why leaders need to have frameworks for assessing their people, mm -hmm. like meaningful frameworks that are built on goals and value. built on results and value and things yeah. like this. Um, because it, 
in lieu of that, that one of the easiest things is like, well, Ben reloaded the cannon 50 times and he fired the cannon 50 times. All my other direct reports, they were only able to fire the cannon 15 times. So Ben is over three times more effective at cannon firing. Then it, and again, it just sounds great on paper. Like right. it doesn't matter. Literally, we haven't discussed whether, whether any of that matters. Did like I you could have been just firing cannonballs at nothing. No one knows. Um, but again, so there's there's measurability uh, there. One of the things that popped up for me too that I think is in a something that attracts us is there's a determinism mm-hmm. to to working on that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, an example that pops up for me a lot is. Uh, and I saw this at Riot and I've seen this at other companies, this sort of constant firefighting mentality. Mm-hmm. We never have time. Like you said, you talk about this all the time. The, the problem of not having enough time. Yes. Right. We don't have time. To we solve don't the have time to solve the problem of not time. having enough time. <laughs> and, and it happened. It's so comical that it happens everywhere. It's, it's one of the biggest plagues in corporate America. Nobody has time. Everybody's too busy to solve any big problems. And there are fires everywhere. We're just yeah. just hosing down fires as quickly as we can. I actually think that one of our dirty secrets in corporate America is that we really like that mm-hmm. because there's a deterministic feeling we there, where there's a deterministic outcome and there's a feeling we get, a, a, a catharsis we get when we take a fire and we douse it in water and it disappears. Like it doesn't matter if the entire structure is so prone to fire that there's going to be 10 more fires tomorrow. There's something extremely just at a basic human level cathartic about just shooting fires out constantly. Yes. It feels like you're adding real value. I mean, if the house is going to burn down and you stop it from burning down, who can argue that you added value? Right. It doesn't matter if the house is poorly designed. It doesn't matter if it's uh, we're going to have all have heart attacks long before we ever start uh, stop the endemic problem of fires. It doesn't matter if there are a million upstream issues. All that matters is that we can sleep tonight soundly knowing that we put out all the fires. And, and to the point where I've seen organizations be so negligent about upstream problems with culture and product mm-hmm. that there – it one could make the argument that it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy that we become a firefighting organization yes because we refuse to acknowledge upstream issues and because secretly we take so much pride in being effective firefighters uh heroics is a borderline pejorative term you hear a lot when it within the context of organizations and organizational culture now. Yeah. Like we have a culture of heroics. It's got a dark side to it. It's very much seen as a double-edged sword today. Yes. But the reality is if somebody is a hero in this context in an organization, they are very likely to be rewarded for that. Yes. And that's very likely to feel good for us. So again, there's measurability, but I think there's also determinism around outcome. Yeah. And and that's very tangible micro loop of adding value, even though you're not really adding value in any other context other than that. Yeah. All you, you're helping us survive one more day. That's the value you added, right? There was someone we worked with named Bradford. And I remember he did a deck on risk mitigation and he had the analogy of, um, do you want a crack team of firefighters? Yes. Um, but do you want them to be called every time 
like a matches lit or would you prefer to have a smoke alarm in your house? That's like, wait a minute, smoke alarm just went off. Let me go see, you know, like if, if maybe I can just deal with that real quick without having to call the fire department. Mm-hmm. We don't like smoke alarms um, because one of the challenges with putting smoke alarms in is we lose the ability of those tangible, I solved the, the burning problem, uh, literally inside of the analogy. I solved the burning. I solved the fire. And, mm. and so to be somebody who goes into an organization and sets it up for long-term sustainable success is to potentially be viewed as not as productive. You're not working as hard. I mean, if you're um, in an environment where everyone's firefighting all the time, the, the person who does attempt to focus upstream in that scenario is very likely to be perceived as being counterproductive, yeah. being... There are fires everywhere. Why aren't you helping? Yeah. What are you doing? You're making some kind of flow chart to help us, you know, streamline the organization. We don't need that. We need more. We need all hands on deck, literally back to the ship analogy. Right. We need all hands on deck. Right. Why are you down there messing around? You know, I'm bailing water. Um, (laughs) So we've got measurability. We've got determinism. And we also touched on lack of education. I actually when I see the balance of skills in most leaders, I tend to see a skewing more towards operators yes and managers and people who are good like when uh, it is very often the case that i see a very seasoned leader in the software space that is seasoned because they have developed tools that they can execute very efficiently that solve most problems at a high enough quality most of the time mhm with process mhm and again, when your entire organization is populated with leaders who fit that profile, I think it tends to create scenarios where most of your problems are upstream. And the yes. reason why is because you don't necessarily have anybody focusing on those things. And possibly it is the case that nobody knows how to focus on those things. Um, it's it, There's yeah. a specific example that came to mind. Ben and I both work together on a very large team building a platform. And one of the biggest challenges that this team had to overcome was that there were cross-coordination meetings that involved 20 or more teams of a total group of multiple hundred. And one of the purposes of the meeting was for everyone to get together and to exchange meaningful information on progress so that we could coordinate large-scale releases and coordinate cross-assistance efforts. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we realized was that there was very little value coming out of the meetings, like almost none. And there was regular intense frustration and friction between the various groups uh, that was leading to a lack of trust. And again, There were many people that dived into this who were like, well, I'll make a better spreadsheet. I'll get a better project management software. We need to have more efficient meetings or people need to show up on time. And like all the suggestions that were being levied were process solutions. Ben and I realized that one of the problems lurking underneath the surface was that 
the verbiage we were using and the language that we were using between all the teams to communicate things was not consistent. Like I would use a word to communicate something and that word would mean five different things to five different people because no one had ever stepped back and said, this is the common language we use, which is far closer to culture than it is process. Mm -hmm. And so we created a lexicon and we said, this is what all these words mean. Like when you say you're ready to ship, here's what it means. When you say you're blocked, here's what it means. And we actually proposed the language model underneath the surface for all the teams to adopt. And very quickly, problems that were below deck started to become visible. Yes, I just and remember- it was very scary it. for people. Like everything was green and blue, which were good colors. Yeah. And then we defined this and actually trained the organization on it. And everything just blossomed red. Exactly. It was like, oh crap, the boat is sinking. Yes. And that, in some sense, what we did, again, there's so many people that might argue like, well, that's a process thing. It's there was it's a process component thing. to it, yeah. Exactly. And that that's one of the that's one of the realities. That's also one of the reasons I think people focus on process. Because to your point, it's tangible. You can control it. I can control how long we're in a meeting. I can control the agenda if I'm a leader. I can, you know, depending on the organization, I can control how long you're at your desk or what you're focusing on. I can organize I can tell you what to work on. Um and there's a part of us that wants to believe that if I can just control everything then I'll get to a good outcome. Mm -hmm. There are very limited cases where that is true. And it is far more often that actually, and this was at the value of what Aaron and I did, we aligned a large group of people around a set of concepts. And when you, when you go into the product layer, that's actually what you're trying to do. So I want to real quick, because we have been referring to them, kind of dive into what, what do we mean when we say process layer, product layer, culture layer, and just yeah. really cleanly kind of talk about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll start and I'll just hit process real quick okay. and let me know what you think of this. Um, for me, the, the process is, it's like the the meetings, the things we do, the um, the explicit behaviors and um, actions we're supposed to take as a part of working in an organization on a particular project. Yes. Um, it's like, and, and it's something that leaders often have massive agency over. It's often very measurable. There are derivative like measurements like velocity mm -hmm. or, and all sorts of things you can get um, like bug count and things like that. that. A lot of those emerge from process, from the process layer. Yeah. Um, it's the, your entire system of operations from who's in what role. Like if you imagined a play, like in a theater, mm -hmm. uh, it's like where each person's supposed to stand, when the curtains come up and down, who gives what line and when, yes. what how the lights where. work, like basically the entire production and how every individual and team and group relates to that production is, is the process. Okay. So product. We just talked. We just talked about process. So to me, the product layer is basically the strategic layer of the organization. And again, product. We think product, and we think the, necessarily the thing that we're making, mm -hmm. like the thing that the customer will eventually use. But to me, the product is is actually everything about the strategic orientation 
of a company. So that includes the things we make, mm-hmm. but it also includes why we make them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Who inclu- we make them for. Yeah, it includes like what role we play and the impact and value we want to bring to the world in general. Yeah. And um, it also includes, I think, what's important, like how we mm-hmm. determine what is or is not important to focus our efforts on. Yeah, there's like a vision piece to that and a, yeah. a lot of prioritization in there. And mm-hmm. it, to to nest into the, the theater analogy, because I, I love that, it's sort of, do you have a good play? Is it well-written? Mm-hmm. And is it targeted at the audience that's going to mm-hmm. be sitting in the theater? And what kind of plays do we make? Right. Like Shakespeare has a brand, right? Yeah. So that's, that's you know, it, and, and think immediately, if I had the best theater process, the best props and the best stage hands moving all the right things and the curtain was perfect and everybody, but the dialogue and story were atrocious, no one like any critic seeing that isn't going to care. They might notice like, boy, it seemed like it was a really well executed disaster. It was a well executed catastrophe. And that's what you get, I think, sometimes in our world, when you focus all of your effort on the process and insufficiently on the product. Yeah. Um, so if I step one more layer down and we go into that cultural layer, the, like the deep below decks, mm-hmm. um, these are what end up being implicit behaviors, um, rituals, the symbols, the stories we tell uh, of an organization. Mm-hmm. What the, kind of people we hire. Yeah. Um, how, how we think about leadership without realizing how we think about leadership. Mm-hmm. How we relate to feedback or talking to each other. Um, you know, do we... Do we have a direct, like, I can go talk to anybody in the company or do I have to go through... A, you know, a set of things and you could say like, well, process guides some of that, but the culture is how I feel about that. Yeah. Because I'll be honest, there are places where the product, where the, the process says, oh, you can go just talk to someone directly. Yeah, we, we want that. But the culture says, no, you can't. Yeah. And recognize that as you go deeper down these layers, the power of those layers actually increases. Yes. Um, and for me, when I think about that in the context of... To know that there's a culture of retaliation. Yes. Where if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, you will be punished, possibly by losing your job, is such a immensely massive and powerful force compared to any process you ever set up. Mm-hmm. And so, like again, I just want to double down on that point you just made because this is part of what we're talking about when we talk about the relevance of upstream changes and upstream focus versus downstream focus. Mm-hmm. And um, in truth, it also makes solving upstream problems more difficult. Yeah. Uh, and that's why people don't, one of the reasons why people don't try to solve them is because they're really scary and they're really difficult. And it's easier to convince yourself you don't have agency to solve them. Right. Now, that being said, one of the things I think we forget is that the benefits and cascading value of solving an upstream yes. problem often has so much of an impact that you could spend years trying to rejigger process and never come close. Mm-hmm. And that that idea of going deep, like you, you mentioned upstream earlier, and you're talking about upstream problems. 
if you have a root problem that is at the cultural layer, that is manifesting in a million ways at the process mm-hmm. layer. And that's actually, those are all the fires we fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to see if I can hit this. And I'm curious your thoughts on tying this again into the theater analogy. Because when I think about the culture side of the theater analogy, it's almost like, is there chemistry between the actors? Um, when the when the person was writing this, did they understand the people who are going to be interacting with it as as the actors and, and are they talented at what they do? There's like, does this actually come together? Because you can see a world where the process is wonderful and even the product is good. But because there's no chemistry among those doing the work, among those actually acting out the play, mm-hmm. it comes off as wooden. And, it, and the critic, again, is like, this isn't, it seemed like it could have been great, but it wasn't. Something was missing. Yeah. And and that, whereas if the culture, this is, and this, we talked about this, you mentioned this the other day. If the culture is good, if you have a set of actors uh, and actresses and they know each other and they work well together and they understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and they play off of that you can hand them almost like a mediocre product layer and a terrible process layer and they'll entertain Mm -hmm. like they will entertain that theater on some extent the strength of their collaboration um as as an entertaining unit it overcomes the other two and that is also something where um when the process is busted if we focus everything on the process it's likely to remain busted if the root causes in the cultural layer but if we build the right culture and we make that really crisp and clean and effective and healthy it's interesting how <clears throat> you can stack almost any process at the top layer and your organization will figure it out yeah well, you your your process by its uh by definition i think becomes more and more lightweight the more yes. uh, the more buttoned up your culture is like the more um, prevalent your culture and healthy your culture is like I've seen teams that don't need process like they're so aligned on what the product is what the strategy is what outcomes we're seeking and who they are as a mm-hmm. team and how they're supposed to show up for each other and for our customers that the reality is that the process just becomes superfluous in many respects yeah. and or or the pro, the process ends up being this more sort of organic development that they that they fluidly adapt through day by day to serve yes. whatever their moment to moment needs are there doesn't need to be this very developed and prevalent framework around all the stuff they're doing because they know where they're supposed to be and that that links to me to the idea of leadership too because one thing that can happen, let's say culture in one area is act, on one team or group of teams is actually in a really good state. And so they've got a decent product to work with and their process is in this constant state of flux because they're constantly adapting it to meet the needs. There's so much trust and collaboration that is implied in that. And if you're a leader and you come into that and you look at it and you only look at the process layer, you might be like, this is chaos. What's going on? Mm-hmm. I need to structure this. We need to know what's happening and who's going to be where. And you actually break things mm-hmm. as the senior leader trying to control what's happening, where in fact, 
if your culture is good and your product is well-defined, you don't need to control things. Your job is to actually let people loose and let them go create great products for an audience because they are culturally aligned with your organization and they are going to do that in a good way. And that requires trust, which, man, I, I'm not kidding. I feel like trust comes up in every podcast we do. Um, and as a leader, you have to be willing to take your hands off to some extent. Um, and Well, and again, that's hard to do if you are traditionally uh, trained as a process person or an operator, right? Yeah. If you're, or if you're incentivized and you have your achievement system, you know, there's another why for you right there, right? Like if leaders are held accountable for, and are primarily skilled in operational things, building processes and managing processes, they're going to tend to, it's, it's like, um, again, it's like when you're a hammer, every problem becomes a nail, mm -hmm. right? Like how, how am I through my behavior incentivizing my organization to become more process driven? Because those are the problems I feel comfortable solving. And this, you know, as we transition here from some of the big picture stuff into like, okay, what are some things that you can do? What, what, how should you change your thinking to be more effective to solve some of these problems that we're seeing. Because no doubt, if you're in any organization, you see upstream problems that are not being solved. Mm -hmm. You probably feel a lack of agency around those problems. Mm -hmm. You've probably struggled in the past with some of these. I know these are all the biggest problems I've struggled with in my career. And I've been fortunate enough to work at organizations that tended to think more about this stuff than most. Mm -hmm. Leaders need to be held accountable for and need to be feeling responsible for focusing on upstream stuff. Yes. This is the number one. If I could make one change at any organization to help out with this problem, it would be that leaders start thinking about what's going on below deck and start investing effort into understanding that. If you're, if you're working with a group of people and you know that there's a lot of anger and resentment and lack of trust boiling under the surface, start thinking about what that means. Start paying attention to that. Start talking to people about that. If you don't have the tools to solve that, that's fine. They are difficult tools to learn, but they are available out there. But don't ignore that in lieu of trying to gloss over that or paper over that with process because what we're trying to tell you right now is that that's not actually possible. Yeah. You cannot, it, again, no amount of expert sailing would have saved the Vasa from sinking. And that's, the, yeah, it's, you have to go below deck. If you have leaks down below deck and you're filling up with water, you can't just be like, let's shoot more cannons. Um, you have to go below deck and you have to bail water. And, and, and recognize that it's going to be easy for you to convince yourself and others that you should shoot more cannons and that that's going to make things better. And yes. again, there will be a very temporary band-aid-y feeling of victory if you're just firing cannons all the time. But the reality is, again, if you really care about the organization and to be frank, if you care about your stress level, your long tail stress level, Mm -hmm. solve the problems below deck. Because again, one of the things I wish leaders would recognize is solving upstream problems isn't just something that's like morally correct or some philosophical thing, you know, Pragmatic. that we like more. It's if you want to get your organization out of fighting fires all the time and you want to get out of feeling like you have to work 60, 80 hours a week just to prove 
that you're there shoulder to shoulder bleeding with everyone else. Like if that's the culture, then start focusing upstream. That's funny. That, that reminds me that thing we said earlier. Um, like one of my phrases that I'll use is, um, you, you don't have time to solve the problem of not having enough time. When you get to that situation, you need to stop or at least dramatically slow down. And it's funny that happens in the game, the Sea of Thieves game, where you're on these on these ships with these three levels. Um, you'll all be up running around, scurrying around the deck, shooting your cannons and aligning your sails. And suddenly somebody will say, we're about to sink. Everybody needs to bail water now. Um, and somebody needs to swim down below decks, which is a huge pain, and start like hammering you know, pieces of wood over the holes in the deck. Um, and if you don't, you're sunk. And it's that's the sort of problem that will eventually emerge in your organization if you don't take care of these lower levels. And yeah. leaders, this is something else that I, we were thinking about yesterday. The more junior a leader is, the more they tend to, and perhaps it's more appropriate for them to be operating at the process layer. And as they become more senior, you actually move down these layers to the more fundamental. And so a junior person probably is learning about the organization, how it functions through watching the stuff. Oh, this is what's going on. As they become more senior, as they maybe they become a mid-level or, you know, like enter the, the senior part of their career, they start seeing the advantages of strategy and vision, they start relating to that stuff. If the organization is training them well and focusing them on the right things, they start thinking about, wait, even as somebody who's not responsible directly or accountable directly for the product, I still take responsibility for its success. And people are expecting that of me. And that means I need to be aware of where we're trying to go, what the customer wants, all these things. You know, something something about that, that I, I, I wonder if I, I can't help but feel that that is actually less indicative of the idea of being junior and senior innately and the skills you naturally would build that are relevant to you in your role and much more indicative of how we hold accountable and set incentives for people at various levels. Great point. Because yeah. to, to, to be honest, I know some, some of the junior leaders I've worked with have been some of the most intuitive about below deck problems. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, I just feel like it is far more normal for organizations to hold junior people accountable mm -hmm. and judge their success purely based on how well they can execute a top deck level role. That's fair. And yeah. they just won't value it. If you're if you're like a, a below deck thinker as a junior person, that can be a death sentence for your career. Yeah. Because you're there, you're there. You're going to be perceived as somebody who doesn't get any work done and just has your head in the clouds all the it's, time. As, actually, that's fascinating because it's like you're not proven yet. Prove yourself first, and then you can talk to us about below deck exactly, problems. Yeah. Is almost the, yeah. the message. And I think that there are some people that do transition through that as leaders. But you're right. I have run into people who look at the cultural layer. And are almost stymied. Some of the best junior leaders I've ever yes. worked with do actually. actually. And that was the thing that I would actually in my argue head. that you and I um, select for that in hiring. Yeah. Your ability to understand and see deeper level problems from mm -hmm. higher level symptoms. Yes. And rather than seeing and the symptom them. as the and problem. And address them. Yes. Um, and, and that is, I, I think, I don't, one of the things I don't want people to take away from this is you should never think about the process. 
Um, that's not true. It's yeah. helpful to have a well-running theater or well, well-running crew. And in crew. fact, you and I would say that the expression of most of the alignment you get upstream is going to be in the form of process. Yes. Right? Like your process is a reflection of all of the connection that you've created upstream exactly. when you're talking about product, when you're talking about culture. So everything will eventually get to process. That's why it's downstream. Like it is supposed to be an expression of the values, the behaviors, and the alignment on what it is that we're trying to do. Exactly. It's just that if you don't know what's upstream or you're busted upstream, your process is going to be an expression of that, which is going to be a lot of wasted time, a lot of poor results, a lot of uh, misdirection, um, a lot of frustration and cynicism because people are going to feel like they're wasting their time. Mm -hmm. There's going to be that nagging feeling like we're wasting our time. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we're saying. It's process is the is the it's the actual way that these things become real, that they're expressed in the real world. So it is right. critically important. And we love it. You and I both enjoy it a lot. Yeah. Like we love but building process. But we it's just, derivative. We're it's, exactly. We're not going to. We're not. We, where we run into problems. This is the truth. Where we run into problems is rarely that. Yeah. It's not your ability to execute that is your problem. You think it is, but it's not your ability to execute that's the problem. Your people are not all lazy, sitting around not working. That's not the problem. We hear that stuff a lot, but that's not what the problem is. The problem is when I talk to five of your leaders, I get five different answers about what we're trying to do, what problem we're trying to solve. Another problem I see is these six people secretly don't get along and don't like each other and have completely eroded trust and are actively working against each other or around each other in the organization. Again, senior leaders having that problem, cascading impact. Think about the impact that that has on yeah. the way that their individual team members execute and can execute every day when they're working on stuff. You know, it's this, this stuff is really important. So again, back to upstream, it would be better for you back to Ben's point about solving the pro that have not having enough time to solve the problem of not having enough time. It would be better for you to just stop working and spend two weeks to get everyone into a room and do advanced facilitation or whatever you want to call it. Get everyone to air out all their dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. And like, and again, leaders hate this, right? Like they hate this because it's such a waste of time. We need to get to work. And it's like, yeah, but you can't get anything done. Yes. You cannot yes. get anything done because your people don't trust each other. So if you're better off stopping and fixing that problem, because I guarantee if you get trust back and you get aligned, you will execute way better than whatever process you had or were planning exactly. on having. Well, and that it's they each do derive from the layer above. Like if you think about I, I, and there's many different cultures that are out there. Some cultures are made up of like. Hey, we all would like to make a lot of money. So we're trying to come up with a great product idea to make a lot of money. Some people are, are thinking, we want to change the world. This is how we want to relate to each other. All these, like, this is how we relate to management or how transparent we want to be as a company. These are all cultural layer things. And from them, you start seeing products that should align to that culture. Um, and actually, I remember... Uh, and shout out to Steve Snow, who just keeps showing up. Um, but 
I remember when a product was pitched at Riot and it was a what seemed like a good product, but it was not aligned with Riot's culture. And Steve Snow, one, taught me what my job was, which was to not let bad ideas reach players. Um, but two, said, I don't even care about your product so much as the fact that culturally it doesn't seem like you understand what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. This idea is bad, not because the product idea wouldn't work or wouldn't move some numbers or make more money or whatever, but because it doesn't align with the culture of what Riot wants to be, which is player focused. Mm -hmm. And this is us focused. Yeah. And and he shot down the idea and killed it. Um, and talk about was, an upstream move, right? Imagine if that thing yes. had been worked on for six months. Exactly. And he did it before it got started. He did it while I was still in PowerPoint phase. And he challenged me and other leaders to uphold that culture. Like we were in the room with him and he challenged us. He looked at us and was like, has anybody else, has any, has any producer seen this? He looked at us and I was like, ah, crap, I'm about to get fired because I was new to the company. Yeah. But he, he, it, he was teaching me something. He was teaching me something very important. This idea is not okay with Riot's culture. And there's a, there's a pillar and a linchpin there, which is, I think, super important to what we're talking about, like how to actually do this well, like how to shift your thinking more upstream. Riot however you assess Riot's performance, structure, culture, everything, I think two things Riot did that were very powerful in this department was, to your point, leaders are accountable for culture. Mm -hmm. Like as a leader, part of your role was to assess the behaviors around you and ensure that there was consistency with what Riot's culture was and what Riot valued within its culture. Mm -hmm. So you were a cultural arbitrator to some degree as a leader. And that was beaten into your head as part of your job, which is pretty atypical and from most organizations that I've seen. Yeah. The second one is actually a product one to go down to our middle layer, which is that because we're obsessively player focused and we always wanna do the right things for the player, if you are a leader, it doesn't matter if you're a design lead, it doesn't matter if you're a, a development manager, like an operating producer, or if you're a product-focused producer, or if you're a marketing lead, it doesn't matter. If you're a leader at Riot, part of your responsibility is to ensure the integrity of positive customer outcomes, positive player outcomes, make players happy, take care of players, be the most player-focused organization in the world. So everyone at Riot that was in a leadership role was always thinking about product from that perspective and what was good product and what was best for our customers mm -hmm. constantly. We it was it was it was in our DNA. Yeah. And Riot very the Riot uh, original core Riot leadership Brandon and Mark specifically clearly made a very deliberate decision to instill that into leaders early on. So what they did was they actually diverted or pushed leadership focus farther upstream. Yes. And 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 held leaders accountable for maintaining integrity higher uh, up the ladder or, uh, or farther below deck to go back to the ship example, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you make sure this boat doesn't sink. Like we believe if our culture breaks down that the boat will sink, you make sure the boat doesn't sink. Yeah. Don't get distracted with all the details going on every day. Like your number one job is to make sure this boat sails gracefully and that the design is clean 
and that and that the structural integrity is sound, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that I think that actually really answers that question too. I was mentioning earlier the idea of maybe junior leaders focus on the process layer, but actually that really answers that is like, no. Um, even the most junior leader needs to be aware of and thinking about and being aligned to. We may have less expectations for them um, because of less experience, but there was a strong orientation towards culture right from the get-go, regardless of your level of seniority. And that that is something that I also want to reflect. When I think about, when I was first sort of thinking through this idea of process product culture, right, that three-layer model, it was out of this realization that like, I see a lot of companies that seem to have a lot of process focus. And a lot of them reach out to us and they're like, can you help fix our process? Or even teams inside of organizations I've been in, can you help fix our process? They were often not as effective uh, as they wanted to be, sometimes severely so. The companies that were doing better were ones that were aware of the product and they were thinking about that. And the ones that were doing the best were the ones that were really focused on culture mm-hmm. and had their leaders oriented in that direction. And that, I have found that to be so consistently true. It's not to say there's not a company out there that didn't focus on culture and ended up being successful, but if they're going to sustain, if they're going to sustain success over time, not thinking about culture means that you're dealing with an ever-growing burden of upstream root causes that lead to all sorts of symptomatic problems emerging all over your product and process layers. It's the, it's the vicious or the virtuous cycle. Mm-hmm. If you only focus on the process layer, you're only going to be solving process problems for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, tons of people, many leaders f- perceived as very senior, incredibly good at that. And it's actually why companies value them is because like you can come in and, and like you just have so much capacity to solve the process problems, mm-hmm. but it's a vicious cycle and they just grow and grow and grow. Yeah. And the virtuous cycle is you go to that culture layer, you think about what your product should be, and then you derive your process. And when you start at that top one, the problems that emerge at the process level are almost trivial to solve. Um, and I'm thinking about this, uh, one of the things, I, I, what percentage of your leaders are focused where with their time? And I think so many companies have nobody or, or they sort of give lip service and there's like two roles in HR somewhere and they're like, oh, they're handling the culture. You know, like, oh, they're going to figure out what our culture should be and they'll, they'll tell us and then we'll do it. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Um, the reality is, your leaders all need to be caretakers of your culture. And that means you need to know what your culture is. <laughs> and even that step is one that if you haven't done is highly worth investing in. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good place for us to uh, wrap up today. I mean, there's so much more. Um, let's do a like a quick kind of summary of the high level here because it's a lot. And, and some of this stuff is a little more abstract. So, you know, again, if the, if the, uh, the ship analogy is helpful to you, just remember, uh, the lower you go on the decks, the more sort of core and closer to the nucleus of things you get and the farther upstream you get to use the value stream example. So don't forget to look at what's going on below deck. Don't forget that problems that happen below deck can result in your ship sinking, regardless of how well you're doing at all the stuff that's going on upstairs. 
And keep in mind that, you know, as leaders, one of the things we can do to make the world better is orient ourselves more towards solving problems upstream. It doesn't mean that we always need to solve all the upstream problems, but it just means that, again, when you solve an upstream problem, you get an outsized impact on every other layer downstream from it. Yeah, and I think what I would say is remember this, that the hierarchy of these layers, culture is the deepest. Your product, to some extent, derives from your culture, mm-hmm. and your process derives from your product and your culture. Get them in the right order. Have people focused on that cultural layer. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for the Valarin Perspective, and we will see you all next time. Have a good one. This has been the Valarin Perspective. Thanks again for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Send us an email sometime at perspectives at or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Valarin Inc.